This is Radio Energy News. Good afternoon, you're listening to Radio Energy at one minute past five. I'm Aaron Proctor. On today's show, as European leaders meet for a virtual conference this week regarding the vaccine rollout, we look at the potential EU blocking of the AstraZeneca vaccine. I'm not ruling out anything for now because we have to make sure that Europeans are vaccinated as soon as possible. Tomorrow marks the one-year anniversary of the coronavirus lockdown. As we remember and reflect on those we have lost, we will discuss the impact of the pandemic throughout the week. Today, Niall Fancy will look into the impact of the pandemic on student nurses. We never got the exact same like learning experiences as everyone else. Like Although it was good we got tucked in the deep end, we weren't taught the same things. Like We didn't properly learn things. And later on, Scottish artists have had a very successful weekend. Our entertainment correspondent Jessica Mastin will give you more details on that later. Our top story today. The COVID vaccine row continues as European leaders are to hold a virtual summit on Thursday to discuss a ban on AstraZeneca vaccine exports from the UK. Prime Minister Boris Johnson is aiming to prevent the ban from coming into force by speaking to his EU counterparts over the phone. Our reporter Louise Allen has more. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen told Boris Johnson at the beginning of the year that restrictions on vaccine exports would not be enforced upon the UK, but she now says that the EU has the power to forbid it. All options are on the table. We are in the crisis of the century, and I'm not ruling out anything for now because we have to make sure that Europeans are vaccinated as soon as possible. Human lives, civil liberties, and also the prosperity of our economy are dependent on that. If the situation does not change, we will have to reflect on how to make exports to vaccine-producing countries dependent on their level of openness. So we are exporting a lot to countries that are themselves producing vaccines. In our contract with AstraZeneca, there are even two sites in the UK um, that are uh, put in the contract for potential deliveries for the European Union. We're still waiting for doses to come from the UK. So this is an invitation to show us that there are also doses from the UK coming to the European Union um, so that we have reciprocity. It is hard to explain to our citizen why vaccines produced in the European Union um, are going to other countries that are also producing vaccines, but hardly nothing is coming back to the European Union. And um, therefore, it is an openness, uh, it's an an offering of openness, but we want reciprocity. We want to see that there's also a flow not only in one direction, but um, vice versa. Boris Johnson is demanding EU leaders shun vaccine nationalism as he calls for the ban on vaccine exports to the UK to be vetoed. Government sources report that Mr Johnson spoke with Ms von der Leyen along with the Prime Ministers of the Netherlands and Belgium last week and plans to speak to others in the coming days. This comes after a number of EU countries have already suspended their AstraZeneca vaccine rollout amid concerns that it causes blood clots. Regulators, however, are insisting that there is no evidence to support this claim. And we... What I'd say is that this Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine is safe 
uh, and that we should uh, listen to the regulators uh, and the, the British regulator, world-class regulator, the MHRA, the World Health Organization, and the European Medicines Agency have all looked at the data. Now that uh, over 11 million people have been vaccinated with the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine, we can see in the real world its impact. And recent US vaccine trial results have concluded that the AstraZeneca vaccine is safe and highly effective. Over 32,000 volunteers, mostly from America, but also Chile and Peru, participated in the trials. It found the vaccine to be 79% effective at preventing symptomatic COVID disease and 100% effective at stopping people from falling seriously ill. The speed of the vaccine rollout across Europe has become subject to criticism, with many European countries now experiencing a rise in infections. France and Italy are among those who have enforced new COVID restrictions across the countries as a result of this. The European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control has reported that only 10% of adults in EU member states have received their first vaccine dose in comparison to over 52% of adults in the UK. A total of 54 million jabs have been administered across the EU, with almost 30 million doses administered in total. Boris Johnson described the UK's vaccine figures for Saturday as a record-breaking day for the vaccine rollout. All the scientists listened to what the European Medicines Agency had to say yesterday, to what the uh, the MHRA has said. Uh, it, you, it, the, the risk is COVID. This is, a, this is a great thing to do. And that was Louise Allen on the EU blocking of the AstraZeneca vaccine. And in that light, we now move on to another coronavirus story. Tomorrow marks the one-year anniversary of Britain entering lockdown. Every day this week, we will focus on a different aspect of life that has been affected by COVID-19 and its disruption to normality. In today's instalment, we take a look at student nurses. During the peaks of the pandemic, the NHS has been under immense strain. This led to a number of student nurses being called on to work in hospitals in stressful conditions, with little experience in this environment. We spoke to some of those nurses who stepped up and asked them to share their stories. Our correspondent Niall Fancy has more. As a student nurse, working on placements in hospitals is routine. But in the midst of a global pandemic, these students had more expected of them than ever before. At the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, the NHS was almost pushed to breaking point and more staff was needed to deal with the demand. The government began looking to universities and in March last year, student nurses in their second and third years of study were told that they could put their academic plans on hold in order to work on the UK's pandemic response. At the beginning of lockdown last year, students were expected to continue their courses online. Practical exams were cancelled, lectures were conducted via video calls, and studying was to be done at home. Nicole, who is a second year nursing student, spoke about what it has been like trying to learn online. It was a really confusing time working as a student nurse during the pandemic um, because our placements were cancelled because I was just in the start of my first year. So we were we were out on placement in the March and we were taken out. We then had to um, do all our work online, which was really difficult during from March to like probably about August, we had to do all our theory, which was really difficult. And we did get support from the uni, which was great, but it was really hard. I felt really like quite anxious about doing uni online. Before long, student nurses were given placements again. Personal protective equipment is crucial to keep staff protected 
and the government have prioritised those in the NHS for COVID vaccinations. Despite the precautions taken, there were those who felt the measure did not go far enough. Jamie, who is currently in third year, shared the concerns she had when working on placements. I don't know what it's like elsewhere, but here, I'll be honest, there hasn't been a great deal of measures. Obviously, we're the same as all the other staff. We have, have like all our PPE and stuff, and there is people that we can get in touch with, but it's just been the same as normal. There's been no extra support put in. It's been all right. I, personally, I haven't needed anything extra, but it's not great what we've been given. The protective measures in place are not the only cause for concern for these students. There are those who do not believe the government has been working in their best interests. These students have been dividing their time between their studies and the battle against COVID-19 and have expressed concerns that while they have been helping to tackle the pandemic, the government has not helped them. Emma, a first year student whose name we have changed, describes what she sees as a disappointing lack of support. Obviously our normal placement was disrupted by COVID, so we never got the exact same like learning experiences as everyone else. Like Although it was good we got tucked in the deep end, we weren't taught the same things. Like we didn't properly learn things. And as well, last year, people who were working on like the COVID wards and things, they all got paid for it, whereas we are not getting paid for this. The flatmates that I had who were on COVID wards, like I literally seen the effects it had on them and they were like, coming home crying all the time. Like it was awful. So no, I don't think they support us at all. Jamie shares the frustration at government indecision. So at the start of the pandemic, they were really good. Um, they gave us all the option whether we wanted to opt in or out of placements. They were really accommodating to us and they gave us a paid placement. So that was for the first sort of four months. And then as things started to get worse again, coming into winter and in the new year there, there was nothing. We just had to go out like normal placements, no extras. Those that were shielding, it was either you do your placement or you take a year out or you graduate late. It's really been unfair. Um, they keep talking about like they would bring out another paid placement, but it just got too late and they were past the worst of it. So it was good to start, but it just kind of dwindled away. As we approach the anniversary of the start of the first lockdown, we can reflect on how the pandemic has been managed. Many of the decisions taken by the government, such as shutting non-essential businesses and limiting social interactions, were made to try and limit the strain on the NHS while it dealt with the rising coronavirus cases. Despite this, additional help has still been required. Doctors and nurses who had retired or changed their career path were urged to return and students were asked to step up and lend a helping hand. It was a challenging time and it seems these students feel as though more could have been done to help them feel safe as they had to adapt to a situation they could never have anticipated. Thank you Niall there for telling us all about student nurses' experiences during the pandemic. And next up there is big news in the Scottish Parliament regarding Nicola Sturgeon. It's set to be a big week for the First Minister. Two separate inquiry reports are to be released within 48 hours, and their findings could be the difference between Nicholas Sturgeon staying on and fighting the election, or being forced to stand down. For insight on this, our political editor Gregor McRae spoke to Mark McLaughlin, politics correspondent at The Times Scotland. Mark, what is Nicholas Sturgeon actually alleged to have done? So the big question uh, is what did she know about this investigation? Um, when did she know it? And what did she do with the information you know, that, that she had? Did she use that information to help the women or did she use it to cover her own back and, and gain political advantage? She's alleged to have breached the ministerial code in relation to all this. If the reports find that she has definitely broke the code, what could the consequences be? 
Well, by convention, if you break the ministerial code, uh, you have to resign. Now, of course, it's a convention, it's not a cast-iron rule. The SNP will always say, well, Priti Patel um, was accused of breaking the ministerial code um, when she was accused of bullying members of staff, and Boris Johnson stood behind her and said, well, I don't agree, she can keep her job. So it's not set in stone. Her message is going to be, you know, win, lose, or draw, whatever these uh, inquiries say, um, to people in the public, well, read them yourself. You decide whether I did anything wrong, because in my mind, I did everything I could to protect the women. Nicola Sturgeon has kind of cast doubt on the parliamentary inquiry about how fair their outcome might be. Why has she done that? The problem with this inquiry is that it is made up of MSPs, you know, uh, half of them plus one, I don't like her very much, and um, the other are SNP MSPs. This report looks like, in, in key sections, the opposition parties used their weight um, to, in, in Sturgeon's mind, insert, you know, politicised statements into the report, which damaged her ahead of the election coming up in May. And there's also that independent report by James Hamilton QC. Do you think that the outcome of that report will be a much more important report in terms of public opinion and the pressure on Nicola Sturgeon? It will be more important because James Hamilton is independent. He has no political allegiances. Um, he's a former prosecutor, former head of prosecution for, for Ireland. You know, his um, legal credentials are impeccable. So whatever he decides will carry a, an awful lot of weight. If he decides that Nicola Sturgeon knowingly misled Parliament, then, um, you know, she could be in real trouble politically. Um, I think the trouble um, is, and, you know, maybe the vindication for Sturgeon, is actually quite hard um, to assess whether somebody knowingly misled Parliament. But her stock is high, so, you know, if anybody can ride out this storm, it's, it's Nicola Sturgeon. Mark McLaughlin, thanks very much. I am joined now by our political editor Gregor McRae with his reaction to the breaking news that the draft bill of a second independence referendum is being published. So Gregor, what is in the bill? Well Aaron, the SNP have been uh, promising to publish this draft bill for a while now and it's finally here. Uh, It sets out the question that the current government wants to have for the next referendum. It's the same question as 2014, so should Scotland be an independent country with the answers yes or no? Uh, that's going to be referred to the Electoral Commission to make sure that it's fair. But the SNP say it's the same question as 2014 when it was checked and it was all fine. So that's the question they want to stick with. Okay. Uh, When do they want the next referendum to be held? Well, if the SNP win the election and if there's a uh, pro-independence majority in the Scottish Parliament, uh, the current government want to hold the referendum in what they describe as the first half of the next Scottish Parliament Um, and a Scottish Parliament term lasts five years so realistically it would be held within the next two and a bit years. Um, A lot of it depends, there's a lot of variables like I say the SNP need to win the election Um, maybe the UK government would have to agree but they've not ruled out testing it in court and Mike Russell the constitutional spokesperson uh, said he was confident Nicola Sturgeon would lead the campaign But of course that depends on a lot of other variables, like the other big news today, um, the report into whether or not Nicola Sturgeon broke the ministerial code is due any moment now. If she's found to have broken that, then she might have to resign 
there's a lot of things up in the air, but this is what uh, the Scottish government want to do. This is when they want to hold the referendum. But of course, it depends first and foremost on what the voters decide in May. Thanks so much for that, Gregor. Now on to the rest of the show. Still to come, a medical cannabis clinic has been approved today with hopes of making its medicinal properties more available to people suffering from chronic pain. Then, the Kill the Bill protest that turned violent in Bristol last night after the passing of the police bill in Westminster. But now, here is local news with Ali Dunn. After a series of assaults on Lothian bus drivers, last night saw a second withdrawal of services stopping all buses from 7.30pm until midnight. This left many people forced to walk home late at night or rely on friends for lifts, something which has been advised against recently in light of the current coronavirus restrictions. Lothian Buses issued an appeal telling the story of one of the driver's expediences on Twitter. I saw a youth coming to my side and he banged the side of the bus, uh, I think with his arm or kicked the bus, I didn't see what exactly what he did. But then he ran across the road and uh, him and his friends were laughing. Stephen, who works at Tesco, had to give some of his co-workers a lift home after they were left completely stranded by the suspension of the buses. It meant that a lot of my colleagues at work couldn't get home either and I had to act as a taxi and get people home faster. Despite football clubs and the police asking fans to stay at home, yesterday's one-to-one draw in the old firm between Celtic and Rangers once again saw Jers supporters take their celebrations to the streets. This comes after widely condemned gatherings last weekend as Stephen Gerrard's side secured the club's first league title in a decade. Last night, a protest against the recent policing bill in Bristol turned violent as rioters set police vans on fire and injured 20 police officers. The chief constable of Avon and Somerset Police suggested that the protest was hijacked by extremists and serious criminals were involved in the protest. We can speak now to our Home Affairs correspondent Dina Kolka for more on this story. So Dina, what's the policing bill and why did the protest occur? So, the protest occurred as part of the Kill the Bill protest um, concerning the new policing bill. The bill in question will result in restricting a right to protest if it may result in a serious public disorder, damage to property or disruption to the life of the community. People are particularly worried about the part of the bill which makes intentional or recklessly causing a public nuisance an offence. It also gives more powers to monitor terrorism. People say that the bill is an infringement on their human rights. Did this give further evidence to support the bill, or will the government take a step back to reevaluate? I don't think that the government will take a step back in relation to the bill. If anything, this proves their point, and they will believe they're doing the right thing by pushing this through the parliament. What does this mean for the bill going forward? Well, the riots may result in even more stringent restrictions on the right to protest, and as an extension, obviously, the human rights. Uh, Why did this protest become so violent, a protest that was originally meant to be a peaceful one? There was a lot of anger, especially considering that not long ago, Sarah Everard was killed by a police officer, so I do believe this coincides with the policing law in a way. People are still angry at the police, and this was the last straw for many. Naturally, it's important to also take into consideration what Chief Constable Marvin Rees said himself. Supposedly, there were serious criminals as well as anti-establishment extremists participating in the riot. Do you think that we'll see more protests concerning the bill? 
I believe so, yes. Especially if the bill will be passed, we will see much more uproar. The lockdown contributes to the overall sense of helplessness for many, and this will just result in more protests and consequently more violence as well. And thank you, Dina, for all of that excellent insight there. And now, here is our correspondent, Sasha Gamuniuk, with today's top international stories. Severe floods across New South Wales in Australia have forced thousands to evacuate the area. The state's entire coast is now under a severe weather warning, with more heavy rainfall predicted. People in more than 15 areas have been ordered to evacuate, and even more have received evacuation warnings. Local farmers are left searching for their stranded livestock as downpours worsen. Locals have commented on the current situation. There's going to be a lot of people that maybe don't get their houses flooded, but they won't get to work. The roads will be wrecked as well. Last year, just after Christmas, it was pretty bad as well, but not this bad. Philippine soldiers have rescued Indonesian hostages and killed the leader of the Abu Sayyaf terrorist group. The military reported that four Indonesian hostages that were held since last year are now safe. Lieutenant General Corletto Vinlon Jr. said that Abu Sayyaf's leader was killed in a gun battle on Saturday night. Scotland's first medical cannabis clinic has been approved today. Located in Stirling, the Sapphire Medical Clinic has received authorization from Healthcare Improvement Scotland. With alleviating properties for chronic pain illnesses, the clinic is looking to provide safe access to medical cannabis for select patients across the central belt. Originally scheduled to open in Aberdeen, the centre will begin in-person consultations when COVID restrictions are loosened, with only virtual appointments currently available. With more on the story, here's our reporter, Ruri Holden. Medicinal cannabis was legalised in the UK in November of 2018 moving cannabis from a Schedule 1 drug to a Schedule 2 under the 2001 Misuse of Drugs Regulations. This means that even though the drug is still controlled, a medical benefit has been recognised, therefore prescription is allowed to be given under certain circumstances. An interview with Dr Samuel Murray, a cannabis specialist from Cannabis Clinics UK, tells us more. Yeah, so it can only be prescribed by a, um, a specialist, can be prescribed by a GP at the moment, so typically would be prescribed by a, a pain specialist or anaesthetist. Okay. And they have to prescribe from a CQC registered location. The Scottish Government has said that it is the sole responsibility of specialist clinicians to prescribe the drug and that they have had no hand in how prescriptions are given. Cannabis based medicines can come as flour, oils, or capsules and can be used to treat a wide range of medical conditions such as arthritis, anxiety, and back pain. Particularly because that. It's such a big patient demographic in the UK, including Scotland, that struggle with chronic pain. And particularly, there is some evidence that using medical cannabis can not only help with pain, but reduce reliance on um, opioid painkillers, which is a particular problem in, well, in the UK and particularly in Scotland. For those enrolled in the UK Medical Cannabis Registry, a scheme will be offered to help those who are unable to handle the large expenses required to use the clinic. Although this is a step in the right direction, some would say not soon enough. Peter Reynolds, president of CLEAR, one of the biggest advocacy groups for cannabis in the UK, gave his thoughts. Well, I mean, I mean the, the clinic in Stirling is an ex- excellent example of a private enterprise uh, and people who care stepping up to the mark where the NHS has abysmally failed. I mean, I think the, the, the truth of the matter is that uh, the NHS and the professional medical bodies in throughout the UK, um, simply pay lip service to medicinal cannabis. Um, they, 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 they try to say, to say the right things and appear to be politically correct, but when it comes down to it, they do absolutely nothing about it. 
Now back to Aaron in the studio. Now it's time for the latest sports news and a preview of what's to come this week from our sports correspondent, Thomas McCabe. Police Scotland are investigating claims that Rangers forward Alfredo Morelos suffered racist abuse after Sunday's Old Firm clash. The Colombians scored the league champions equaliser against rival Celtic before the abuse was published online. This comes days after Glenn Camara claimed he was racially abused by opponent during Thursday night's game against Slavia Prague. Club captain James Tavernier has spoken out against the racial abuse the Rangers have suffered this season. I'm confident to say that all our black players have received uh, racial abuse this season and you know that's from the social media platforms and this is a, a key message to them to say that you know action, action needs to be made and enough is enough. Been on that campaign. In rugby news, Scotland have today announced their 29-man squad to take on France this Friday. Johnny Green missing the Six Nations finale is the only major exemption of note. The game was originally postponed in February after a COVID-19 outbreak in France's squad. Scotland can't win the tournament, but a bonus point victory would secure the second place. France can overtake Wales and win the championship themselves, but only with a 21-point victory with bonus points. Additionally, in racing news, Formula 1 returns on Sunday. The 2021 F1 World Championship season begins in Bahrain, with British driver Lewis Hamilton the favourite to win this year's championship. The seven-time winner will be hoping to be Michael Schumacher's record for the most championships, after equaling his tally last season. Finally, the English Women's Super League has announced a groundbreaking multi-million pound television deal with the BBC and Sky Sports today. The deal will shine more light on Scottish female stars like Caroline Weir, Erin Cuthbert and Jane Ross. Chelsea head coach Emma Hayes was pleased by the announcement. The announcement of a, a really strong broadcasting partner that will help give us the viewership and the exposures that I think the women's game has earned. And finally, in the entertainment world, Scotland is on a winning streak, with artists picking up a number one single, as well as winning crowns in RuPaul's Drag Race UK and The Voice UK. Our entertainment correspondent Jessica Matheson has more on this story. Over the weekend, Scotland has gone from strength to strength in the music and entertainment industry, with not one, but three Scottish artists making a mark on the national stage. Craig! Craig Eddy was crowned winner of The Voice UK 2021 on Saturday night for Team Anne-Marie. The 23-year-old from Falkirk battled it out with the finalists Grace Holden, Oki Laja and Hannah Williams before taking the winning title and earning a record contract thanks to his original ballad, Come Waste My Time. After spending seven weeks in the top three, postman turned internet sensation Nathan Evans from Airdrie has reached the top spot of the official charts with his remixed version of a 19th century sea shanty, Wellerman. Soon may the Wellerman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. She had not been two weeks from shore when down on her a right whale bore. The captain called all hands and swore he'd take that whale in tow. 
In December, Evans posted his talent on social media site TikTok, quickly becoming an overnight sensation and giving up his day job to record a record deal. His achievement comes after his appearance on Anton Deck's Saturday Night Live last weekend and has now overtaken Olivia Rodrigo's hit Driver's Licence, which spent nine weeks at number one. Lawrence Cheney's up in this gig from Helensburgh to Edinburgh. Everywhere I go, I'm snatching wigs. I made my name in Glasgow City. Can't sing or dance, but I'm so witty. Me and my dolls are on a mission. Gonna take this crowd for Ruruvision. It's not just the Scottish music industry that has achieved amazing success over the last few days. On Thursday, Glasgow drag queen Lawrence Cheney was crowned the winner of RuPaul's Drag Race UK. The 24-year-old has become a huge success since first appearing on our screens back in January. The final was as fabulous as expected, and the final four queens, Bimini, Tacey and Dundee's Ellie Diamond, battled it out with the eventual winner before Lawrence, who is known for her hilarious one-liners and impersonations, took the crown. Following her victory, Lawrence is set to fly out to Hollywood to begin filming her own miniseries with BBC Three. Congratulations, Lawrence Cheney. The time has come to crown our queen. Lawrence Cheney. A new voice, a new queen, and a new number one, Scotland will continue to sing the praises of its rising entertainment stars. And that was Jessica Matthewson, and it seems like it's going to be a very exciting time for Scottish artists. And now for the travel and weather update. Johnson Terrace will be closed until next Monday, and there will be disruptions on the westbound of Princess Street. Leithwalk southbound will also be closed tomorrow for three days. ScotRail services to and from Fife are being disrupted due to a signalling fault. And from Monday 29th of March, tram works will begin on the south side of Lindsay Road. To accommodate these works, traffic management arrangements will be adjusted in the area. And after a weekend of sunny weather and moderate temperatures, from today onwards, weather will be particularly cloudy. With highs of 10 degrees Celsius and lows of 6 degrees Celsius, the sun has unfortunately gone away for now. The rest of the week looks like high winds and rain. You've been listening to Radio Energy News with Aaron Proctor.